You're listening to XOXO After Darkcast, in which three editors talk romance novels, sex, pop culture, relationships, writing. And did we mention sex? Yeah! From the ladies behind XOXOAfterDark.com, because the best conversations happen after dark. Hi, this is Abby, and we are here for another episode of the XOXO After Dark cast. And I'm very excited today because we have a special guest in the studio with us. I will tell you momentarily. But first, I must nag you, as I always do, uh, to visit XOXOAfterDark.com, the site where we have all sorts of great stuff, new books to read every single week for free, right in any browser-enabled device. So uh, not pieces of whole books. Go and check them out. We have all sorts of different stuff. And, of course, we have great... We have quizzes, we have sweepstakes, we have uh, news from authors and guest posts and all sorts of goodies. So we hope that you will visit us there. And uh, in just a couple of weeks, we'll be announcing the winner of our Hot Books Cold Nights uh, novel writing contest. We have been soliciting romance novels from all the aspiring writers out there, and the winner is going to win a publishing contract with Pocket Star, the digital first arm of Gallery <laughs> Books. And uh, that is co sponsored by XOXO and Archway Publishing. So keep your eye on that. Uh, so I'm here today with the lovely Kate, my co host. Hello. And our special guest is none other than Andy Dorfman, New York Times best selling author and friend of the podcast. Uh, you may remember her when she came out to talk last year about her best-selling book, It's Not Okay. And she has a brand new book out, Single State of Mind. Andy, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. We are very excited to have you, not the least because I got the chance to work on this book with you, so I am double dipping today. Uh, Single State of Mind is off to a rousing start, and people still seem really excited to hear what's going on with you. Um, For folks who somehow don't already know who Andy is, although I think that must be three people working at, you know, the Antarctic station or something. Um, they, they definitely have TV at the Antarctic station. That's true. That's true. And I would imagine they definitely are and watching. Instagram. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> so Andy first came to public attention when she was a contestant on The Bachelor during Juan Pablo's season and stood up for discerning women everywhere by kicking him to the curb after the fantasy dates uh, section. Um, And then, of course, she was the lead on The Bachelorette and had her own adventure to find love, which uh, had its ups and downs. (laughs) And that was sort of the the subject of it's not okay. Uh, But that wasn't the end of the story for you, right? So you were moved after telling sort of that part of your story to write another book. Yeah. So I wrote the first book, Obviously It's Not Okay, um, which was based off of my failed engagement, post-reality TV, which I still look at it and I'm thinking, okay, why did I really think this was going to work? I knew the guy (laughs) for eight weeks. But, you know, life happens. We get caught up. Right. Um, But, yeah, I journaled my heartbreak and put it out there. And luckily, everyone was so supportive and so just welcoming about a story that I was really reluctant to put out there that it gave me the confidence to be able to write a second book. And Single State of Mind is definitely a sequel to It's Not Okay. It picks up exactly where It's Not Okay left off, which happens to be with me buying a one-way ticket and packing two suitcases and flying and moving to New York City, which is where I am now. So yeah, Single State of Mind starts with that flight and it kind of takes readers through what I've been going through and my adventures over the past couple years as far as moving to New York City, the apartment hunt alone, which was (laughs) disastrous, um, to dating, to kind of navigating this new world post-reality TV, Mm -hmm. post-engagement. you know engagement, And a lot of it is funny and humorous, but there's also this kind of message in there about a woman 
on the brink of 30, coming into her own. And I really, I feel like I went there with the audience as far as the feelings, the ups, the downs, all of it that come with reclaiming your identity and reclaiming your independence. Mm -hmm. So single state of mind, I think you were getting in your single state of mind. What did you find out about your identity or yourself in that move to New York when you kind of picked up stakes and moved? What, how is, how is today, Andy, different from coming right off the show, Andy? You know, I look back and I had been in relationships pretty much my entire life. You know, I had a high school sweetheart, a college boyfriend. I had a boyfriend in law school. Um, and just about six or seven months separated my last boyfriend from my first time on The Bachelor. Hmm. And after that, of course, I was went on The Bachelorette and was engaged. Right. And I didn't really realize that I had never been independent. I hmm. thought I was. I was a career woman working as a prosecutor in Atlanta. You know, I paid my own bills. Like, I'd been off mommy and daddy's tab for a decade. Um, but I... I just didn't really know what it meant to be truly independent. And I don't think you ever know until you are self-reliant and you are the one that's paying your own bills and you don't have anyone to come home to and you don't have anyone to fall back on. So it was less of learning little tidbits and more of just kind of learning what it actually means to be independent and what it feels like. Mm-hmm. I like that you're you describe it as independent rather than alone. Like it's, right. it seems to communicate to me that there's a really different emotional context sometimes people are like oh she's still single or whatever but that is not the feeling you get from the book or just from listening to you talk like yeah rewarding for you to take this time it is and I will say I'm pretty honest in the book um, and in real life about the fact that there are definitely times where I feel lonely and alone being a single woman you know I talk about going to weddings and it's like there's nothing worse than showing up to a (laughs) wedding with no date and I've finally just started like asking random dates and being like I don't really care at this point and I enacted the the no plus one no come rule Mm -hmm. Um, so I will say there are definitely parts of being single and being independent that are lonely but I've learned that that's okay it's okay to feel lonely at times Um, there is such an overriding sense of independence and kind of pride when you build your own life that I think that overrides those little tiny moments of feeling lonely and you have to look at it in totality you know I think that's another lesson I learned in life and writing the book is to look at your life in totality. We all have the you know the lazy Sundays or mm-hmm. the morning after where we're like, oh, and we have anxiety. But if you really sit back and look at your life as a whole, I think that's where you see where your happiness level kind of is. Would you, Andy is definitely a true New Yorker now, and I think you can tell when you read the book, would you demonstrate with a little bona fides by telling us just a little about finding your first apartment oh, <laughs> or your wow. apartment hunt, if you like? I literally, I'm I'm speechless in even trying to describe it because you have to understand, I came from the South where I had an apartment and like master bedroom with a bathroom and living room and you have like a balcony and you pay like $500 a month. Uh, I came to New York and I'm like, oh, I I actually told my friends, I'm like, I'm going to try and keep it under like (laughs) $1,000. Okay, I'm glad that was y'all's reaction because that was my friend's reaction oh, yeah. as well. Oh. And I'm like, no, I found all this stuff on Craigslist. Like, I can totally keep oh, it, maybe like 1500 no. you know? Oh. And they're like, where? I was like, Chelsea. They're like, okay, let us know how that goes. Um, let's just say they were right. Yes. Uh, I say in the book, the city that never sleeps happens to also be the city that ain't cheap. And that was a rude awakening. But not only the price of these apartments was a rude awakening, but like what you get for the price. Right. I mean, ants crawling, no yeah. bathroom, 
bathtubs and kitchens. I'm just still to this day blown away at how little you get for your money here. And then you look at some of the, the brownstones and these families that live there that have like four stories and you realize like, wow, that's $20 million. Right. And I'm like, what, what does that even look like drawn out? Like, how many zeros is that even? It, it falls off the check, I think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't even count that many zeros. Oh, yeah. No, it's um, it is delightful. And one of my favorite things is you uh, you were smart. I think when you first decided to move to New York, you did an Airbnb because you're yeah. like, I'm not quite sure. There's lots of different neighborhoods. Right. Where am I going to mm-hmm. want to live? And uh, the uh, it was it was also, I think it was a very writerly choice, which I loved because this is. You know, of course, it's a memoir and it's interesting because mm-hmm. of what Andy goes through. But uh, she wrote it. It, it. It's very writerly in that way. I really I think it's a pleasure in the read. And one of the little kind of Easter eggs that I love is the way you describe your Airbnb. Because when you come in the first <laughs> night versus after like three weeks of apartment hunting. Yeah. So not to give too much away, but when I first arrived at the Airbnb, I was like, all right, this is a little smaller than the photos showed. Um, and then as I was looking for my apartment, it was strange because every night I would return home to my Airbnb and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> with every apartment that I saw. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. That precious solo space can be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so that was that was a rude, brutal awakening. Um, obviously, it worked out. I've been living here for three years now. But I also think it's relatable in the sense of like everyone thinks, oh, you know, someone moves to New York. And of course, I post Instagram photos and they look great thanks to some filters and some, you know, little apps. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's the genuineness of it's not always as glamorous as it may seem on Instagram. What's one of the things that you've experienced here that's made you feel the most independent? Ooh, good question. One of the things that I've experienced to make me feel the most independent. Um, You know, it's not one thing, but I will say there's something about when I put the key into my apartment door after a long day and I'm like going to turn it and I know that nobody is inside on the other side of the door. Mm -hmm. To me, that is like all right, I get to come home to my own home by myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And no demands and no think what they, what's what the other person's mood or what yeah. are they yep. even, like even the whole like, I mean, my husband is a delight and I love him, <laughs> but he came home the other day and he clearly had a bad day. Yep. And he, he came in hot and he came in like a jerk. And I was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. And, you know, sometimes it's nice if you are having that crap day and you're like, I can be as mad as I want to the television because it don't care. Yeah, (laughs) I can take whatever I want out on the bottle of wine. That's another thing. Sometimes I'll just like sip right out of the bottle. I'm like, I don't have to worry about, you know, someone else being like, oh, that's so gross to sip out of the bottle. There's yeah, there's something very luxurious and liberating about being at home by yourself. And drinking out of the bottle is very on brand for the XO After Dark has. Yeah, I have no shame drinking out of a bottle. I'm like, why would I have to wash a glass if I don't? You're just going to. It's just you. If it's just me, yeah. Like, why am I going to wash a, an extra glass? Right. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Um, so, of course, we talk a lot about relationships here. And um, uh, my other married cohort, Lauren, couldn't be with us today. And Kate and uh, wonderful producer Diana are both still looking for their perfect someones. Um <laughs> Sorry. Well, Diana Are you? Wait, no, Diana, Diana just asked if she was single. Diana. <laughs> I went. I wanted so much symmetry that I went off the rails. I'm sorry, no, Greg. Diana's You're a loving. Two, sing- two and a half single girls. I got a little confused. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Greg, step two. My bad. Talk about coming home yeah. to a bad, I, bad mood. I am apparently going to stop drinking out of the bottle. No, um, but first of all, tell us which is harder, dating on television or dating in New York? Dating in New York, hands down, no doubt about it. <laughs> no helicopter rides. I, like I don't. Yeah, I don't even care about the helicopter rides. New York City. I, again, speechless. No doubt about it. Way harder than dating on TV. What are your um, best and worst things you you feel about men in New York? What's your favorite thing? What's your least favorite thing? My favorite thing about men in New York is there is a certain sophistication that I find with them. And maybe it's just the fact that they all walk around in like greatly tailored suits. <laughs> um, but there's a cultural sophistication. I think that goes with everyone in New York. You're just exposed to so much and there's so much to do um, that I do find them a little more well-rounded. Uh, but... On the flip side, they tend to take that well-roundedness to their egos, <laughs> and men in New York seem to think that uh, the grass is always greener on the other side, and that on to the next is like their anthem. Yeah. It's because we don't have actual grass, so they're just yeah. looking for... <laughs> yeah, they're just looking for whatever comes around the corner. Um, I think there's kind of this delusional mentality that men in New York have. You Did you read the New York Daily News piece maybe a year ago? That was the guy who was like, oh, I finally settled. I was dating nines, but now I settled for a seven. And he and they showed him. I do remember boyfriend this. boyfriend was he not was like a, a five. nine himself. Yeah. I do like, remember this. And like was, only a New York guy would say that. Right. And it was that to me is so emblematic of the attitude that you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, having said that, and my girlfriends and I talk about this a lot because they have a lot of terrible dates and I have had a lot of terrible dates, but I've also had some great guys in New York. Yeah. Like, I won't crap on every New York guy. Like, True. I've definitely had some very chivalrous, very um, kind, and good guys that I've gone on dates with. Mm -hmm. Do you have um, any deal breakers or any things that you sort of like to spot that you're like, I think he's going to be a good one? Um I mean, obviously, like long term, a deal breaker would be someone that doesn't want children just because mm -hmm. I, I have a new nephew. So my womb is on fire and like, <laughs> a couple of my best friends are pregnant, but I've always wanted kids. So deal breaker would be no kids. Um, I think, you know, I this is something I've actually learned from the show and through different relationships, both on and off the show. I see uh, the triggers for jealousy and control mm. and unsupportiveness a lot quicker. And mm. those are things. Three major deal breakers that I have. Like, those aren't things that are going to change over time. No. Um, if you can spot that someone has jealousy issues or control issues or is unsupportive, I can tell you from experience that's not going to change no matter how long you date, no matter how big of a ring you get, no matter how posh of a wedding you have. That's really smart. And I think timely right now, we were just talking about um, all of the uh, awareness new awareness or for many women we've been telling you of um how uh you know i mean i don't know i'm over i'm overstating the, it to say how dangerous it is i mean i'm thinking about uh i'm thinking about times up and the me too movement mm -hmm. and how uh it's sometimes women are i don't know socialized to feel like they have to just blow stuff off or ignore it or, or that think it's, the it's not a big deal or yeah. it's the norm. Right. Um, and I think finally more people are talking about it and it's important to, to realize that it's not just, you know, well, he didn't hit me. Right. Um, but to realize that you, you 
don't need to tolerate disrespect. Right. right. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from even the Time's Up and from what I've learned is there should be a certain inherent value of yourself by yourself. Mm-hmm. You should only go into relationships when you are satisfied with the person that you are because I think you respect yourself and value yourself and in turn you demand that same value and respect that you're deserved. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I want to get back to sort of what you're saying about how you uh, want to have kids and oh, yeah. that you're sure of even yeah. you're like I'll make my way through the New York dating scene whatever but you definitely want kids and um, you are taking some steps to sort of help yourself along your road in a little bit yeah I did so I froze my eggs Um, I think that's the first time I said I froze my eggs actually everyone's usually (laughs) asking like did you so we heard about the egg freezing Um, I actually did it about a year ago and I never talked about it Um, instead I wrote about it because that's how I handle all my daily tackles and emotions Um, and I wrote about it and put it in the book and I was a little reluctant to put it in the book because I will say My experience with freezing my eggs was not one of joy and excitement. Mm -hmm. Um, I know everyone's got their own stories. Some women are very vocal about it and spread awareness in a great way. And those women are usually very happy and excited. And they tend to have a partner that is going through it with them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they feel like, okay, I found a guy, but I'm just not at a place where we want kids. It's usually the we. For me, it was just I. There was no we. And I was on the brink of 30 years old. And not that that's too old by any means, but I knew that I wanted to have kids. And I also knew that I didn't have a boyfriend at the time. Um, And if I did get a boyfriend, I was still, you know, at least a year minimum out from having kids. So I kind of took the steps in the sense of, all right. I'm going to face the reality of the fact that I'm not where I thought I would be, but I'm here and I have two options. I can either be sad and be the single lonely girl who's like, oh, you know, woe is me. Or I can say, look, I feel a little embarrassed. I feel a little ashamed. I wish that I wasn't having to do this, but I'm going to override those emotions with a smart decision. And so that's what I did. And I wanted to share that um, as vulnerable as it was in the book and with people because I I don't think that every woman freezes their eggs with excitement and joy. I think there are plenty of women out there who see it as kind of a necessary means. And I just wanted them to kind of know that, like, they weren't alone in whatever they were feeling. Now, has having done that made you um, think more? I don't even know more. Maybe it was always in your plan. Would Does that make it easier or harder to consider deciding at some point to have a baby on your own if Mr. Wright hasn't stepped up? You know, I think so. Again, I I hope to not get to that point, but I did have a moment of epiphany when I was doing um, the retrieval process with the egg freezing where I was wheeled into the hospital, like the hospital room alone. And I thought to myself, okay, wow, it's not only that I don't have like a husband or boyfriend here, but this could be the beginning of another kind of deja vu moment where I end up five, ten years later doing this alone again. And as much as I wouldn't want to do that, um, I think it helped me kind of come to terms that that's a possibility. And having gone through the entire process by myself kind of gave me a sense of um, confidence that if I had to, I could do it alone in Mm -hmm. the future as well. I feel like that's sort of the message of your whole book is like, 
if I had to, I could do this. Yeah, and I think also that lends itself to this idea that I discovered, which was, you know, wanting and needing. So I used to feel like I needed a man in order to make me feel like I was, you know, just not, I don't want to say human because that's a little too strong, but I I felt more content and fulfilled when I was in a relationship. Now I feel like I don't need a man, but I want a man. And I think for me, it feels like a better uh, mentality to be in that state of mind where you want but don't need. And I think it, it makes you not settle. Mm-hmm. Just get a really good dog. Right? <laughs> I'm not a huge dog person, though. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We've which lost is, the dog Which is so funny. Wait, get this. Which is so funny because two of my best friends have dogs, and I'm kind of the person, I'm all about honesty, I'm kind of the person that walks in, and I'm like, mm, you're not a, not a huge dog fan, and of course the dogs always Whoa. know how to spot the non-dog <laughs> yeah. fan. Yeah. And then I end up like giving them a little side eye, and the dog will give me a little side eye, and I end up, by the end of the night, the dog's on my lap, and I'm like petting it. <laughs> right. So I say I'm not a dog lover, but then like you always find me with the dog on my lap. They're like, she's the one who doesn't have enough hair on her yet. Yeah, we better, right. we yeah. better take care she's of She's like, that. that's the one we got to window win over, you know, <laughs> instead of like all the girls that are like, oh, go, come, come. Even the New York dogs like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, right. It's true. It's true. Um, uh, just as a as a uh, fun fact for uh, your Bachelor Nation fans and listeners, yeah. do you want to tell them who? Uh, worked with you on your egg retrieval? Oh, yeah. Whitney Bischoff, who you guys probably remember um, getting engaged to Chris Sewells, who was on my season of The Bachelor. <laughs> it's like, it's a delightful Bachelor Nation flow it's like chart. Six really. degrees of how do we separate my fertilized eggs. <laughs> but I think one of the sort of stories in this book is kind of about how uh, these crazy adventures you've had have really built you a strong network of female friendship. Yeah, it's weird because people always ask, like, what's one of your favorite things that came out of the show? And I always say, like, not to be cheesy, but it's true, my friends. Like, I got to have incredible friendships and and not friendships that just lasted one season. I mean, I've been in some of the girls from my season's weddings and, you know, two of my friends from my season of The Bachelor have just been here all week. And um, there is, like, this oddly unique friendship that gets formed despite the fact that it's touted as girls competing for a guy and I kind of love that and I kind of feel like a sense of pride in all the girls that are in the bachelor family because we all manage to not end up with the guy and to have supposedly fought for the guy over other women but we all like stand strong together in the end and like who knows and who cares where the guys are yeah yeah I don't know. We don't know where they are. Exactly. But you love to watch the girls' friendships. It's true. It's absolutely true. And it's fun to see you all kind of pop up in each other's stories and online and see them. And uh, It's kind of a testament to girl power. Yeah. It it works against the... Some people have like a snobbier narrative about mm-hmm. reality TV stuff, or and they're like, "Oh, it's just for cat fights or whatever." It's like it's not. Yeah, these are great, real, whole people. You were talking at an event the other night about how, obviously, editing is editing, but that the all the contestants are much more well rounded yeah. than you get to see. Yeah, that people often ask me like, "Oh, how much of it is edited?" And you know, you always see a few people every season kind of blame editing on, you know what they came across looking as. Um, but I always say, like, the only thing that editing alters is I don't think you get the full picture of every single contestant or mm-hmm. lead that's on the show. But other than that, I mean, the editing's pretty accurate. 
Hmm. Interesting. So it is, I mean, they're not putting words in your mouth. No, and that's the other question is it's not scripted. Like, I was never once told what to say. Like, I don't even think you're really provoked into saying things. Mm -hmm. Interesting. They just offer you the wine and the let, wine let and the chips fall where they right. may. And my theory is it is the entire success of the show is due to the casting department. I think they have found out some magical formula that if we take this type of girl from this type of background and pair her with this type of girl with this backstory and put them in a house together and put one man in front of them and an open bar, this will happen. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been right for 15 years. Yeah, yep, they've got it down to a they've science. They've got a working system. Yep. I'd like to know that formula. <laughs> now, um, although, of course, you've talked a lot about um, kind of learning to really grow into your new independence and how it can be really great to come home and have your own space. And I think it's all really precious in New York. That is not to say that you haven't been on a variety of exciting and dramatic dates yeah. for good or ill. Um, can you tell us one crazy dating story you've had? Something oh that you gosh. either loved or was just, I can't believe I'm doing this or... Um, the, I can't believe I'm doing this was probably when I flew to Vegas at the halftime of the Super Bowl. <laughs> wow. I'll leave the rest to, uh, the read. Um, <laughs> that was probably my, what am I doing moment, but also it was kind of my most liberating one. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say, yes, the book has a lot to do with the independence and like the joy I feel at, at turning the key and knowing someone's not there, but it's not. Um, anti-relationship. I am definitely still on the quest for love and I think love is a beautiful thing and I even say, you know, that I will never be hardened by any men. I will always, like, be a believer in love and I hope to someday fall in love. So, yeah, the book is definitely not a knock on love. I think it's just more of a reality of where I am and, and the search for love and kind of what comes along with that. Yeah. So that sounded like a very bachelor bachelorette no, answer, by the sweet. way. It was like, excellent. I think I said the word journey three times and <laughs> yep. quest. Like, when do I ever use the word quest? <laughs> well, I will say that I think you're here for the right reasons. <laughs> Thank you. I do accept your rose. <laughs> if that's what you're offering. I'm so excited. <laughs> is it the final one? Yes, it's absolutely. <laughs> this is absolutely. why you guys have worked together for two years. <laughs> yes, Can you imagine what our, what our conversations like when I just come visit the office? I Abby's sit next like, door, so yes, I can. Oh, yeah. Abby's <laughs> like, we can do this on the phone. I'm like, no, 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 I'll come in. We'll sit. We'll, like, you know, yeah, we'll hang out. <laughs> And, but then she has to see me quivering with my fangirlness to be like, be cool. You can't ask her about The Bachelor all the time. It's not cool. <laughs> Usually I don't know a lot of answers, though. The one I will say the one that I wanted to know, I think from the very first time I was like, OK, this is totally weird. But can you tell me why no one ever eats on this show? And did I tell like, you? You did tell yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell our listeners? Sure. Yeah. Everyone's like, why does no one eat on this show? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, they think they make comments like, oh, these girls are starving themselves. Blah, blah, blah. OK. The reason we don't eat on the show is because everything always runs late and they want the food to look good. So by the time you actually get to the dinner portion of the date, the food is ice cold. Oh, so they always so have sad. these like gorgeous yeah. plates. What a waste! Of... Yeah, so it has nothing to do with producers starving right. the contestants. It has nothing to do with like, oh, we don't want people to be eating on camera. It's literally the fact that it's always cold, and you eat before because you know it's going to be right. cold. Oh, good. And can you imagine being the bachelorette contestant who says, "I'd like to send mine back and have right. it warmed up"? <laughs> right. They would get miles out of that. Oh, right. I know. <laughs> I, would, I feel like, you know, you could really just have they all sometimes, especially in the later seasons, they've gotten a little goofy with the chirons under people. So, oh, like you know, it'll be like chicken wrangler or yeah. whatever. I feel like some of these I could just be like, Lauren, hangry. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. And it would be fair. Yeah. Um, so 
as we said, this is of course your second book. Uh, are you an author now? Do you have another one in mind? What's oh, what's I it definitely like? have another one in mind. Is this a franchise um, spinoff? And do I? When, what qualifies you as an author? Well, really, Having written a book. Gotten, Just written okay, book. so I'm in. <laughs> you're I'm in the it. club. <laughs> you are absolutely it. Do you think this is? where you want to go or is this just one of many many Andy hustles that is happening like I will say this is definitely where I want to go um you know when you come off the show you're kind of hit with this social media wave and like all these opportunities and everyone you you have this weird identity crisis I know that sounds bizarre Aww. but like you're kind of given all these opportunities hmm. and you try all these different things whether it's like the TV or the fashion blogging or whatever it is and I mean I definitely tried a lot of different things and I will say that I have found that writing is actually something that I enjoy doing. And I started to kind of reel back and measure what I was doing based on my level of happiness and like what I actually wanted to do versus what I was like, oh, I don't want to have to do this, but I'm going to do it. And writing never was one of those things where I was like, oh, I have to do it. It was always a thing that I was excited to write about. So I kind of just decided like, this is my passion. Like this is actually what I love doing. And hopefully I've started to carve a little niche out for it because I feel lucky that I get to do it because it's a passion of mine and it's my way of kind of dealing with the world and sharing on my own terms and I love it so I hopefully will have a book three you know it all depends on how people kind of respond to it and whether or not they like it and I would love to keep going well, we I would love to keep publishing you. So we're <laughs> on the same is page. Is that an this oral is not contract? No. Uh, <laughs> you, you saw Thank exactly you. where I was going. I was like, I is that an oral contract? Because we have some witnesses in here. I know. I sadly do not have the authority <laughs> I don't think to our actually boss will do that. that fly. Right, exactly. This is how we're going to find out if she listens to the podcast. Right. <laughs> right. Dear Jen, we'd like a third book right. immediately. Exactly. Well, and because uh, your writing sort of came out of your journaling, yeah. it's clear that you, that's sort of part of how you process your experience in general. Do you have a particular writing process when, once you sat down uh, to write this book, is there, do you have to have music on or does it have to be, do you have, you know, the right yoga pants or total quiet or noise or you'd be in a cafe? Do you have a system or you just got to squeeze it in where you can? Um, I, you kind of squeeze it in where you can. It's funny, I talked to one of my friends that's a fashion designer who also operates in a creativity type of mentality, which is what writing is. Mm-hmm. And you can't really plan to sit down and write. Because if you do, and you're not feeling it that day, or the creative juices aren't flowing, you're just like not producing good material. So I really just kind of blocked off months at a time and was like, you know what? I'm going to write until I can't write anymore as long as I'm feeling it. I will say, when editing came, comes along and you're like reading through it and stuff my go-to was to have Game of Thrones on in the background I got through seven seasons of Game of Thrones that is dramatic while Mm -hmm. editing single state of mind like that was my little like go-to quirk I did have to pull all the dragons out <laughs> oh, I there were times where I was like I feel like I'm writing like the mother of dragons yeah. you know like, <laughs> I kind of like morphed into these characters the first one I think was scandal mm-hmm. I was I was re- yes. I was watching binging scandal while editing it's not okay and I like found myself morphing into what I believe Olivia Pope would have written <laughs> yeah. and so for this one you were channeling your inner Khaleesi yeah Powerful yeah. women all around. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Role models. <laughs> uh, are there any um, are there any bits of advice you would give to other women who are ready to take a leap and do something totally new and leave behind? Like you kind of left your family and friends in Atlanta and were like, 
I got my one-way ticket. Let's go. Um, I think just doing it, to be honest. For me, I was in a unique situation where, you know, I had just gotten done with an engagement and I was living with the guy at the time so I had no home I had no like real job and I I could have stayed back in Atlanta but I realized like I had nothing in the sense of like tangible things I had the support of my family of friends of course but I decided to just kind of take it as an opportunity to say all right I have nothing which means I have nothing to lose and that means anything is a gain so I think it's about looking at your situation that you're in and instead of seeing it as just having nothing to lose saying to yourself this is the perfect opportunity to just go for it and have anything and everything possible to gain. I think that's, that's a great way to end. Yeah. I mean, what we could be there? better? Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Andy Dorfman, it was so wonderful having you join Aww. us here in the studio. Thanks for having me. I always love hanging out with you, and it's a pleasure to tell people about your new book, On Sale Now, Single State of Mind. Go out and get it. You will not be disappointed. And uh, maybe it'll help you rent your own apartment in New York City. Yeah, right. <laughs> or you can sublet mine. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Now she's definitely a real male. Right. That's how you know. <laughs> All right. So we will, as always, remind people to check out our lovely site. Uh, go ahead and um, make sure you pick up Single State of Mind. And remember that the best conversations happen, happen after, after dark. dark.